0: Welcome to my millennial career. I'm laughing because Shane Hatton and I are co hosting this episode and we've been giggling. I've been like crying of laughter in the prep to this, but I can tell you now this episode is going to be pure gold. Shane, how are you?
1: Michelle, I love that you say that we've been giggling. (laughs) I've been sitting here cool, calm, collected, composed. And just waiting for this to kick off and you got the giggles, <laughs> which is okay, which is okay.
0: <laughs> okay, we're, we're on a roll. And so today we're talking about some of the challenges that occur when you're new to leadership. And most of our listeners know Shane, but if you don't know Shane, you need to get to know him. And you will on this episode. Shane is a speaker, author and coach around all things leadership and culture. And he's just bloody brilliant. Let's do it. Alright, so we've got some listener questions we're going to dig into, but first, I mean it's really interesting Shane, I've had a lot of people message me, I hate when people say that, I've had a lot of people messaging me, (laughs) but I have had a lot of messages lately on LinkedIn about what do you do when you're new to leadership and some of the challenges that come up, what do you think are the biggest challenges for new leaders?
1: Oh my gosh, so many challenges. Not because it's neat leadership is necessarily really, really hard. It is hard, but I think it's challenging because most people, when you step into leadership for the first time, it can feel really challenging and really hard. Not because leadership is inherently this big, difficult, challenging thing, even though it is got the hard moments. I think it feels hard because you have to learn an entirely new way of doing things. Like If you think about most people when you're a team member, there's a lot of things you just don't even think about. You don't think about culture. You don't think about you know developing other people in the team. You don't think about how you have to be a coach. You don't think about all these things. And then you get to your leadership role and they're like, oh, by the way, um, here's a really new role for you to explore. Here's all these people you now have to look after and uh, just go figure it out and you, you'll be fine. You got this.
0: And it's really funny as well because it's kind of trial and error. Like you're right, we don't have like a – there's no CPA program equivalent for leaders. (laughs) It's like sink or swim and I think that does our new leaders a disservice because we're not just messing up an Excel spreadsheet. We're failing when it comes to people and people remember (laughs) –
1: yeah. I mean, everyone's got, a, everyone's got a story of a leader that they had and they were like, they were the worst leader ever. Like one of my nightmares is, you know, waking up one day and thinking that someone's telling a story somewhere and they were like, I had the worst leader ever and his name was Shane and this is all the things that he did wrong. And I'm like, it keeps me up at night. But I mean, everyone's got experience of bad leadership and it's not surprising like because you, you do, you change so much about your role. Gallup did this research project and they were looking at people who have the natural talent to manage. And they found that one, one in 10 people possess the natural talent to manage. And that's scary. But they found that two out of 10 people could develop the skills required to manage well if they had investment from their organization. But still, like if you look at those numbers, three out of 10 people leading effectively means that you're going to run into a lot of really bad leaders.
0: How much does desire play into our ability to learn the skill of leadership? Because I'm a really big believer that leadership is a skill and it is a skill like anything that can be developed. And, of course, some people are more naturally inclined uh, to be good at leadership, just like some people are more naturally athletic. And so what is it that you think, like, does desire – to learn, have a big part to play, or, or when you describe those natural talents, is it some things we just really do need to have?
1: Yeah, desire has to play a part in it. Learning has to play a part in it. Like, if we think about it, it feels so basic to come back to this, but like, what is in is leadership when you think about it? Like, it's one of the first questions I always get asked. They go, Oh, so Shane, what's leadership? I'm like, Oh my gosh, what a huge question. And I turn to some of the leadership greats and, and look at their definitions, and most definitions typically come back to leadership is influence leadership is some degree of influence. So if you're a a parent and you're raising a child, you have influence within a family structure. And I would absolutely say you're a, a leader within that family structure. Some people get a team within an organization and some people are given a country to influence and organize. So I think, Based on your degree of influence, it requires a bigger muscle, a leadership muscle to be able to manage that. Like, I wouldn't be able to run a country. I haven't got the leadership muscle that's strengthened to be able to allow for that. Now, could I develop that and get to the point where it is strong enough to be able to lead a country? Maybe. Maybe it's not part of my story. But I think when you think about it that way, you go, well, what's my desire? Where do I want to be? Do I want to be a CEO? Some people actually don't want to be a CEO, Shell. Some people don't even want to be in leadership and that's okay doesn't mean you can't be a leader. You just have a different leadership influence. And so I think if you desire to be a leader, then you've got to be willing to learn and strengthen that muscle so that you have the capacity to grow into that desire.
0: I think you also have to be acutely aware of what you don't know and your skills gaps. And I think that's why we have those examples that we can all draw upon of poor management and leadership because, people had skills gaps. Now we're a lot more gracious towards people if they're aware of their skills gaps and they're forthcoming with that. So it's like, Hey, I'm a new leader. I'm learning as I go. Here's the things that I'm working on to develop. And I want you with me on this journey, as opposed to that false sense of confidence where we feel like we need to project confidence when really we haven't developed the skills needed just yet.
1: Yeah. Like if you think about when you're driving down the street, we've maybe said this before, but if you're driving down the street, you stopped at a set of lights and the car in front of you waits like an extra 0.3 seconds before the, when the light goes green to go, everyone behind you is like slamming their horns. It's like it's the end of the world. Like if you don't take off immediately when it goes green. But, but you watch what happens. If you put an L plate on the back of that car, everyone would wait there for four minutes and not even beat their horn. They're, like they're going to get frustrated in the car. They'd be like, come on, buddy, you got this. Like there's almost this sense of compassion that comes over you when you see those L plates. And I reckon we need to give ourselves that same learner degree of compassion when we're new to leadership, uh, which is allowing ourselves to have the L plates for a while before we, you know, move on to our P plates.
0: Oh my gosh. If everyone can see how much I'm smiling and I do smile a lot, but far out, that is the best analogy. Like we are more patient. And I think the vulnerability of saying, hey, I'm learning, like that builds trust. Yeah, oh,
1: yeah. I I mean, it's being it's being honest with where you're at. And I think if you're stepping into a new leadership role and you're stepping into a team that you're taking over from somebody who's had experience in leadership role, and You step into it and you're like, okay, well, I've got to nail this. I've got to get everything right. I can't make any mistakes. It's such an unfair expectation to place on yourself. It's like why when you go to, to, you know, your local Wendy's, I don't even know, it still exist. I think they might just be in (laughs) regional Australia. Not, Not like the burger chain, like the ice cream place and they sell donuts. Anyway, you'd go there and they'd have like a trainer badge on. And again, people show up and customers generally speaking, you are a lot more compassionate and kind to those people because they're really honest about where they're at. Now, we should caveat this. I don't think L plates are an excuse to do things that are just stupid things to do. Like If you've got your L plates on and you run through a red light, you cut over the roundabout, no one's going to give you grace and compassion for those things. And sometimes you got to learn those things the hard way. So sometimes you're going to get fined from the police. The police are going to pull you over. So I think it's balancing, hey, I'm new and I'm learning and that Learner mindset, which is compassion, learner curiosity, growth mindset, versus I'm a learner, which means I can get away with anything, which is not the same.
0: To extend on the analogy, I kind of feel like the learner, the person with their L plates on, still needs to know the road rules. Yeah. So as leaders, when we start out as new leaders, we actually need to know the the road rules, but no one gives us those road rules. Shane, like no one's kind yeah. of saying, hey. Shell, you've just stepped into leadership. Gee, I I always do this where I put myself in the third person. Hey, Shane, you've just stepped into leadership. Here's the roadmap and the road rules you need. Because if you've got that, you can actually then say, cool, I'm learning, but I'm not going to run the red light. What would you say are some of those rules of leadership that we need to know about before we step into it?
1: Yeah, I think what you said is really nice. It's about being a learner without being reckless and it's having a plan so that you don't feel like you're being reckless with other people. I use this example when I wrote Lead the Room. I talked about a story that I heard years ago. I can't remember who told me. It was basically a guy who was saying like, when I used to go four-wheel driving, I used to be able to jump in a car and I could kind of do whatever I want. You have this big four wheel drive, you can go off road, you can get on these tracks. He said, and then when I became a leader, it's like they attached a caravan to the back of my car. And he said, and there were lots of things that I could normally have done quite easily. But if I did it with a caravan attached, I would have ended up hurting and damaging the caravan. And I think when you're new to leadership, like we often think that this comes with a whole lot more freedom and it does, but it also comes with a whole lot more responsibility, which is you've got something that's attached to you now. There's people who look up to you and they look to you, for example. um, And so you need to be really considerate about how you do things. And so having a roadmap is about being in service and taking responsibility for the people who are looking to you to lead them. And so, I mean, if, if I was to think about the roadmap, we, we've got to think about like, what are the big spaces that require leadership for us? And I think some are really obvious and I think some are less obvious. And like, I don't know, what are your, your thoughts? Like if you were to think of like the most obvious places where people are required to lead, what does that look like for people from your perspective?
0: So I'm really big on this and I love it because like, people get so annoyed about meetings. But for <laughs> yeah. me, leadership happens in meetings. Yeah. Like, and if you hate meetings and you hate going to meetings and you hate leading meetings please don't be a leader like please yeah. just don't do that like go do something else but like if you I think Patrick Lencioni says it in most of his books he talks about that leaders need to be the masters of meetings and it's not about talking all the time. It's about facilitating the right conversations with a group of people. And so that might be, hey, we need to run team meetings well. We need to stay on track. We need to take perspectives from diverse people. We need to not just hear from the talkers or the verbal processes. We need to facilitate the more introverted people getting a chance to speak up. And the other thing about meetings, Shane, that I find is we need to get really good at one-on-one meetings. Like those coaching conversations, the times where I go, okay, I have my weekly check-in for 15, 20 minutes with you. I connect with you every week and I say, hey, Shane, how are you feeling at the moment? Mm. Cool. What do you need from me? What are your roadblocks and how can I help? And I just do that every week. And if I consistently do that and support you and give you space – that's one of the best gifts a leader can give. I give my team members space and I do that by being intentional with those meetings.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. So much yes to this. I would actually love to talk a lot more about the meeting room because I actually think it's a really profound space. And so- I asked this question once to somebody, I was like, where does leadership happen in your organization? If you were to take me on a tour through your business, where does leadership happen? And I've heard all kinds of responses. People would say, oh, I'd take you to our board meetings or I'd take you to this. And one lady said, oh, leadership happens on Tuesdays, which I thought was like one of the funniest responses. <laughs> and I was like, so what, what do you mean by that? And she goes, oh, well, all of our exec meetings happen Monday, then all the execution happens on Tuesday. So we we see leadership as like it outworking things. But I I agree with you. I think for me, leadership is three spaces. And if we're talking about building a roadmap for new leaders, this is where you should be prioritizing your time. I think it's conference rooms, meeting rooms, and lunch rooms. Like those are the three big spaces you go, okay, here's where I'm going to upskill myself to lead people well. And I say conference rooms are the most obvious places. And I say conference room meaning that whenever you've got a big group of people together. So it could be a team meeting, could be a town hall, could be a conference, could be just a board meeting and it, like presenting your ideas to you know, the broader team. You've got to have the skills to be able to communicate your ideas in a way that inspires people, mobilizes people, causes people to take action, brings out uh, the best in people. It happens in meeting rooms. And that's the one I want to focus on, I reckon with you, uh, which is all about those one-on-ones, those um, those group conversations, bringing the best out of the facilitated conversations. And then the last piece is, piece is lunch rooms, which is we've talked about maybe in the in our last uh, conversation together around culture, which is it, it's happening down the corridors. And it's happening in these kind of intangible moments in the culture of our teams. And so let's not talk about conference rooms and lunch rooms, because let's go, let's go deeper on meeting rooms. Because I think that is like the core of where most of a leader spends their time, which would either be a feeling like your door is a revolving door with people coming trying to dominate your time or b meeting overload and getting pulled into thousands of meetings. Um, Did you ever feel like that when you were leading people, do you ever feel like they had that bit of a revolving door? It's like you're gone from just working in a team and all of a sudden now everyone comes to you with every single problem they've got.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I remember being most of my week would have been that whole, and I hate to say this like back-to-back meetings. I hate when people are like, I'm in back to back. So I'm like, what do you mean? Like I visualize
1: <laughs> that very literally, and I just imagine a whole bunch of people standing back to back in a room and I'm and like, you- there must be a more productive way we can do this.
0: <laughs> totally. And I, I think so, yes, the revolving door, the big thing for me around meetings and making them successful is what is the purpose of this meeting? Yeah. So as a leader, if I'm going to run those team meetings and make them productive, if I'm going to run the check-ins with one-on-one, which Marcus Buckingham has an amazing research around how leaders, the best leaders do one-on-one check-ins every week, mm. which when I say that to new leaders, they're like, no way, no way. How, no t-
1: how on earth would you do that?
0: But his research showed that if you do a 15-minute weekly check-in, one-on-one with your team members, performance and engagement and retention goes up through the roof. So if we could do that, but to do it well, you have to be structured and clear on the purpose. So that was for me a big learning when I was new to leadership because I just found myself in the revolving door of meetings with no action. Yeah. Like talk, 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 no action. So it's how do we have really structured time? No, I'm not big on small talk, so it's like jump straight in, go deep really quick. And then get to the end and it's like, we're really clear on who's doing what from here. But what what, are you, what, about you? Like, what's your take?
1: Yeah, I remember talking to a friend once who had just taken on his first leadership role and I, get, I said to him, like, how's it all going? And he goes, oh, it would be really good if I wasn't, he said, I, what did he say? He said, I could get a whole lot more done on my job if I wasn't constantly being in, interrupted by my team. <laughs> and I was like, oh, buddy, I really hate to tell you this. <laughs> But like when you took on that leadership role, that is now your job. Your people are your job. And so when I was saying before, when we step into leadership, we take on a new role. Mm. A lot of people don't realize that what you were doing before you stepped into leadership is not the same skill set that you need to develop in leadership. And I, I said to someone recently, like your job as a leader is not to do things. Your job is to develop people. And that is a really hard mindset shift. So if you were to say like, we should be catching up once a week with that team. Let's imagine you've got a, like even just a relatively small team of five or six people. Let's imagine you just took 45 minutes with those people every week. Let's say you're going to block out an hour because you're not going to do anything with the remaining 15 minutes. It probably might go over, maybe it'll go short. But generally speaking, you need an hour per person. So that's, that's like six hours out of your day. Take lunch out of there. That's a day a week of your time is just spent with your team. Imagine going from having a five-day work week where you're doing all of the work to now having to do more than what your original job was because you now have the addition of a team, but having to do that within four days a week. Like, is it any wonder people feel like that's really, really tough? The question is, how do you get past that?
0: Yeah. And I think the key is seeing that the role is different. Like, yeah. I'm, it's like going from digital marketing manager to the accountant. If we saw leadership as a career change, I think people would approach it differently. Like yep. imagine if we sold it as, hey, you're stepping into leadership, this is a career change. Because don't you think that would like really change our perspective on it and go, cool, I'm not going to now be an accountant who manages a team of accountants. I'm going to be a leader. That's a whole new ball game. I'm not going to be running the management reports. I'm going to be leading a team to run the management reports.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you if you think about like if you were to jump into a new career and you'd come out of you know, marketing and you wanted to go into HR, you would go, oh my gosh, I've got to learn the skills required to be able to take on a HR role because it's not the same set of skills that's required Marketing, same as a team member to people leader. So your, your one-on-one System has to be a skill set you develop. Like you have to find a a structure and a thing that's going to work for you. And I guess if we were to get really practical, I mean, what are some of your tips for those one on one? So going, okay, if we're going to get the most out of these, A, we've got to have make sure they're really intentionally locked into our calendar. But I mean, when you sit down with them, what on earth do you talk through? How do you kind of make the most of those times together.
0: I mean, you've got the best one-on-one questions and we we need to bring those in because <laughs> I love them so much. For me, there is a few things. So I make sure that I'm prepared as the leader. So I've thought through before the meeting, what did they do really well this week, this month? What did they do that I think could have used improvement? So I want to make sure that every single one-on-one, that person is getting feedback, both positive and a development-focused feedback. So, hey, Shane, this is what you did that was amazing. This is why. And I get really specific. So like here's the detail about how that was so good and I, I just want to say thanks. And just the genuine positive feedback gives that person a huge lift. And then the one thing, there's a lot of great research around how employees want more feedback. Like employees want way more constructive feedback than they get. And so assume that your people that you lead are not getting enough feedback and that they want it. And so the way I'd frame it is, here's what I noticed last month, last week. I reckon we can tweak this and get a better outcome. This is what that looks like to me. What does that look like to you? What would you do differently? And so that becomes a development and a career progression conversation. And, and that's how I'd structure every one-on-one. My team always knew, and I said this as soon as they walked in the door. So from first meeting we ever had when I would hire someone, that one of the first things I would say to them is, hey, Shane, so stoked to here. I want you to know what to expect from me as a leader. I want you to expect that I'm going to tell you Anytime I love what you're doing, you're going to hear about it. Anytime there's an area for development, you're also going to hear about it. And so you're just building that trust from the outset. And then I ask them, what do you expect from me as a leader? And so I guess I say all that to go from the outset of employment, I want my team to know what it's going to be like working with me and what what they need from me as a leader. And so every one on one is almost a replication of that, it's like a mini version.
1: I like that. So what, what I like about your approach, to it, shell, and I think it's very aligned to the way I feel about this is that your job in those one-on-ones is to not use it as a chance for you to just brain dump on your team. Because I think a lot of what happens is you, you go, "Oh gosh, I've got all of this stuff to carry." Oh yeah, I've got a team, and so you go, "Let's schedule some one-on-ones." And you go, "Blah," to every team meeting, and it's just forty-five minutes of you talking, and you walk away, and you feel better, but your team feel worse, and so. I think what you and I both believe about meeting room conversations is they're designed to help coach and develop your team so that their capacity increases so that your job becomes easier, right? I I use this phrase with my business manager and and we have this relationship, which is my job is to make your life better. Your job is to make my life easier. And it's the same with a leader in a team, like a leader of a team, you should be making the lives of your team members better. They should be going home at the end of the day, feeling better when they get home from work, not feeling worse. And as a team member, your job is to make the life of your leader easier. And the way that you do that is you increase your capability to carry more and to do more. And the way that happens is through your leader being able to coach you well.
0: Uh, I just love that so much. I'm interested to know because one of the big challenges I see for leaders is, especially new leaders, it's this thing that happens, Shane, where they come in and they, staff member, let's say I report to you. I've got a challenge in my work. So, I've got this problem over here with a customer. I come to you and I'm like, Shane, there's this huge problem happening. I don't know how to deal with it. Can you fix it? And I kind of try to hand it to you as the leader. But one of the things that I think most leaders don't know how to do is how do they coach their staff members to fix the problems themselves rather than taking on the problems and solving it for them?
1: Yeah. I reckon if we're really honest about it and even people who are listening to this, if you're really honest it feels really good to be needed. (laughs) Like if someone comes to you and says, Hey, Shane, or Hey, Shell, I've got this problem and you are so good at dealing with this problem. Could you help me with this one? You go, no, okay. (laughs) Like like you may not say it out loud, but you go, okay, I can help you with that. And you look at your calendar and you look at your schedule as a leader and you go, I do not have time for this. But you say, yeah, of course, because it feels really good. And in doing so, I reckon there's two big reasons why it continually happens. One is it because it feels good and two is because it it feels quicker. Um, So the reason why we solve other people's problems as a leader rather than developing that capability to solve their own problems is because it feels easier and it feels quicker. The reason why it feels quicker is because we're looking at it through a short range perspective. If you come to me and say, here's a problem and I have the answer and I give you the answer, it's resolved in two minutes. If I take five or 10 minutes and coach you, that's eight to 10 minutes longer than it would have taken had I just given you the answer. But what we don't see is that in a week's time, when a person comes back with a different problem with the same root cause, it's another two to three minute conversation and then another two to three minute conversation. And over the next year, you have hours worth of conversations, because the person hasn't developed the skill set to be able to solve that problem. And as a result of it, you become your team's problem solver as opposed to developing a team of problem solvers.
0: What kinds of questions would you ask to do that process? Because you're right, like our go-to is just, I'll just fix it, take me two seconds. But often we don't know how to coach someone else. So what things do you ask to get them to start to develop that skill or capability?
1: Yeah, so I think about every conversation passes through four domains if you want to lead the conversation to help them develop their problem-solving capability. And I think the first domain that it leads through is helping a person distinguish between what the problem is and what the underlying challenge is. And I call it the challenge domain because most people come with a problem that's very rarely the real issue. And we, we both, even we just before this, we're talking about Michael Bungay-Stanya, and he is the master at coaching. And one of the questions he asks is, what's the real challenge here? And the reason why that question is so profound is because nine times out of 10, the thing that people bring to you is not the real thing. It's the presenting thing. It's the presenting problem. And so the, one of the first questions that you could just ask the person is when when you've given them the space to talk it through, go, okay, so what's the real challenge here for you right now? And in doing so, one of the things that I often ask people is, you know, what is the What is the presenting problem? And then what is the underlying thing? That if we could address that underlying thing, we're going to get a much better result for you.
0: I love those questions. Are there other questions that are in your go-to for those one-on-one conversations? Because I know you've got a few that you have shared on LinkedIn and Insta that I bloody love. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, if we're thinking through, even just to add to those four domains, the first domain being the challenge domain, the second domain being the clarity domain, which is about when you know what the challenge is, what is the future that you would like to achieve? What is the, the picture that you would like to essentially achieve? And the way that I think about that is there's a difference between a problem and a complaint. A problem has an outcome and a complaint doesn't. So when you get people come to you, they often want to complain. And to, the way to turn that into a problem is to go, okay, well, what's the outcome that you'd like to achieve? And they go if they don't have one. we're well, like that's just a complaint. And so once we can get really clear on the the problem that we're solving and the outcome we'd like to achieve, we can then workshop together what choices that you can make or what you know uh, what decisions you can make to help achieve that outcome, and then ultimately commit to that outcome and moving forward. So if you think about these domains as you know challenges, challenge clarity, choice, and commitment. Think of all the questions that would sit within that domain. So for the challenge, you go, okay, so what's the real challenge here? Or, you know, what's really at the core of this? Or what's the root cause of this? Clarity. You know, What would you like to achieve? What would you like to look different? Imagine the perfect scenario. You achieve your goals. What, what would that look like? Choices. What could you do about that? What have you tried? What else could you try? Um, what are some of the things that would help give more clarity or go- give more information to make the best decision? And then commitment, which is what are you going to do about that? How can I support you? What, what do you need from me in order to be able to achieve that? So I think every new leader needs to build a toolkit of questions that sit within those domains and if you ask those questions you can move people through a process to develop their problem solving capability.
0: That is so good and I love the end part and that's the part I reckon we we often miss is the commitment. So I think as new leaders we don't want to feel like we're micromanaging cuz if we've experienced a micromanager we tend to swing the opposite direction and we're like no I cannot get into that level of detail. I don't want to like overstep, but what we end up doing is creating ambiguity. And so I think it's really important that we go, okay, let's agree. When are we going to have this finalized by? When are we going to get a decision here or when, and set a date, like be clear, be measurable, make that outcome measurable, because that's the part I see leaders slip up on, especially in the early times. And then they start thinking, well, No one's getting stuff done. It's like, well, you haven't clarified when you want things done by.
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to those those big questions. Uh, What are the questions that you're going to ask that are going to help create that sense of commitment and movement? So simple things like in counseling, we used to call it the most economic point of entry, which was what's the thing that costs the least in terms of effort, energy, you know, mental space that achieves the biggest result in the shortest amount of time? Because once you get that, you create momentum for a person. So I would always ask the question in anyone that I'm working with, okay, so what's your most accessible next step? So in every catch up and every meeting where someone says, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to try this and you go, okay, so what's your most accessible next step? And they go, well, it's this. And if you as a leader have had experience, you go, that's too much of a leap to get from here to here. Like imagine you sit with someone and they go, you know, what's your most accessible next step? And they go, "Um, I am going to exceed our targets by 30%. And you're like, whoa, like there is about 600 steps between that outcome and that step. So what are you going to do right now? And it just brings it back to that most accessible next step. And Yeah, I think that's probably a really crucial part to generating commitment.
0: I always feel like we're on this magical wavelength, you and I, because (laughs) I've been thinking about this concept of, okay, the next step. And I was walking this week and I tried to go on like really short daily walks after I dropped the kids at daycare. And I, I was remembering back to like when I used to do like park run, which was a very short stint of my life, <laughs> I should say, <laughs> and running like the 5Ks. And I used to look at the paces, like, you know, the people yeah. that would have the pace and they would say, okay, well, if you're trying to run a seven minute kilometer, here's the pace person for that. Or if you're trying to run a five minute kilometer, here's the pacer. And I kind of think that as a leader, as a new leader, we often need to see ourselves as the pace setter. Mm. Like, and I think often our employees can feel like the pace we're setting is unreasonable because we kind of think, I need to get my team to here as fast as possible. But if we think about it as more of a long game and we go, if we can over time gently increase the pace, and I don't mean like, get more work done with less. I mean, how do I help this employee grow in their capacity? How do I help them grow in their skills? And I want to take them on that journey, not to go from, okay, now you need to exceed the results by 30%. How could we just increase this by 20 seconds a kilometer? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's like, and that could be huge. I'm not a runner. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All the runners are going, are you kidding me? 20 seconds for kilometer? <laughs> yeah,
0: they're like, that is 50%. I've got no idea. But do you know what I mean? Like it's like how do you as a leader see yourself as someone who's bringing people, you're just that little bit further ahead, you're not miles ahead, and you're gently encouraging them to grow. Does that resonate with you or am I just like over here just thinking of metaphors?
1: (laughs) No, I I think it does. I think for people who are listening, it's going to be that sense of I want my team often at times to be a lot further ahead than what they are. And because, because I carry a lot as a leader and I need other people to help me carry some of the responsibility and the weight that I'm carrying and where the tension is always going to be is that the reason why you're the leader is because you are that next step ahead and you are that pace setter for the team. And so your job is not to berate them for not keeping up with you. It's to develop them so that they can sustain it. And so that sense of going, well, you're not keeping up with me. It's like, well, actually, what if I flip the camera on myself going, what can I do to develop their capacity so that they can keep up, so that they can keep running? And there's, and I think, again, coaching by asking questions is the way that we do this. We teach people how to solve their problems. I think one of the, the most generous things you can do and the kindest things you can do for another person on your team is allow them the freedom to explore how they could solve their own problems. And I'll give you an example. I was talking to someone and she said, I... I I said this to someone on my team. I I want to know what you think we should do. And he said to her, well, that's why you get paid to be the leader. Like that's not my job to figure it out. It's your job. And her response was so nice. She said, I could give you the answer right now. And it would probably be a good answer, but I've got belief in you that you've got the capacity to solve this problem. And I'm genuinely curious about how you'd go about doing that. And I think this is an opportunity for you to grow and develop. And I would love to know what you think. And he's basically said, I don't want to give you my answer because that's your job. And he left. And he came back about an hour later. He's like, you know what? I've been thinking about it. And I I realized that you want what's best for me. And this is what I think we should do. And she said, I think it's a fantastic idea. Let's do it. And it, the confidence lift that came from feeling like, oh, someone believed in me that I've got the capacity to do this. was just such a generous gift.
0: I love that approach because sometimes I think what happens in coaching conversations, we can feel like we're being condescending or patronising because we feel like, you know when you envision a teacher withholding the answers from the students, like I know the answer but I'm just going to let you fumble around until you can figure it out. Whereas that approach in how she described, I've got an idea, it's probably a good answer but I want to know what you think because I think if we do this together, the outcome will be better.
1: Yeah. Or even just that that sense of just because my answer is, is a good answer doesn't mean it's the best answer. And it's that also that sense of humility as a leader to go, you know what, even though it's tempting to give you my advice right now, I'm giving you my advice, but it might not be the best way we could do this. And if I give it to you, I lose any opportunity for us to potentially do it better.
0: Yeah, so good. That's so helpful. I love what we've talked about. We've talked about this idea of as new leaders, we need to master the meeting room. As new leaders, we need to become a coach and we need to help our team solve their own problems. We're going to go to a quick break and when we come back, I want to ask you about how we build confidence because I think this is a real challenge for new leaders. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role. Or if it's time to quit your job, you can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show. Ryan Reynolds
1: here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
0: For anyone who's just stepped into leadership or they want to get a leadership role, but they're struggling with their confidence, what would you say to them?
1: Oh, I hear you. (laughs) I I see you. I've been you. I am you. All of those things. I think one of the challenges of stepping into new leaders and new leadership role is that you just don't, you don't feel like a leader immediately. We often think that when I get the title, I'll get the feeling as though the title will just automatically produce within us this confidence that we are the leader. I told the story recently, even on my social media of, of getting my license for the first time, getting in the car and going, I should not be allowed to drive a car. Like just because I was qualified, just because I had the license didn't mean I automatically felt like a, like I could drive. And so if you're sitting there going, oh, Shane, I struggle with some of the confidence around leading, I would say it's perfectly normal. That's a normal experience to feel. Maybe that's just me, but I would suggest that you've probably experienced that too.
0: Oh, totally. I remember when I got my first like, HR manager gig and I was leading a team and I remember being so incredibly overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And for the first six months of that gig, I remember going home and I would say to Sam, my now husband, absolutely stuffed this up. They've chosen the wrong person. I don't know why they put me in. Every single person in this business has their master's qualification at a minimum. I'm over here with like hardly any skills, hardly. I was like in a world of pain. I look back now and think, wow, how did that person, how did they even, I remember saying to my boss, today, like, why did you appoint me? I have no idea. But one of the things that I think is awesome and the underrated thing about lack of confidence now this may be wrong scientifically but just go with me for a sec there's something when you feel that sense of imposter syndrome that kicks in of going you know what maybe I'm not that qualified or maybe I don't know what I'm doing but I think the best leaders are the people who have the humility to go I need to learn like I absolutely need to learn I have a really strong desire to learn I don't have this all figured out. I think the worst leaders are the people who walk in. They're overly confident and they aren't aware of their blind spots. They aren't aware of their skills gaps. And those people, I think, are more at risk of poor leadership than the ones that are unconfident but have the humility to go, okay, I need to really kick up a notch on my learning. Like, I need to focus all my attention on building skills, developing, because these people that I'm leading deserve to have a leader who's learning.
1: I like that you, you've you kind of used this language of like using that lack of confidence to propel us rather than withhold us. Because uh, if you think about you know, that lack of confidence, it, it is easy to go one of two ways, which is to say, I don't feel very confident and therefore I show up and do the things that a not very confident person would do and it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I've used this example recently as well, which is if I show up and go, I'm not I'm not confident, I shouldn't be here, I don't belong here, I'm not a good leader. What do you do when you get into the meeting room? You go, I'm not going to engage, I'm not going to be part of this conversation, I shouldn't be doing any of this. And everyone sits in the room going, oh, they didn't really, they didn't bring much to that conversation. They're pretty quiet, didn't contribute much. And then they build this perception of you, which was never the perception they had in the first place, because the reason you were in that meeting is because they believed in you. And so it can be something gets in the way, or... A lack of confidence can be this, this kind of self-propelling moment where you go, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this. I'm going to make sure that I invest in my growth and my development. And I think what you're talking on is this concept. I think it was from Nassim Nicholas, I think is, I'm not maybe pronouncing the name wrong. And uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who who talks of this concept oh, of anti fragile, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, which Love I think is
1: fantastic. Way. And for those who haven't heard it, it's this idea about there are certain things that gain from disorder, and uh, one of those is that when we realise there's something we don't know it's kind of broken, it breaks something, and then we get to go and learn and it becomes strengthened as a result of that, as opposed to like a glass, which is just fragile, it breaks and it's broken and you can't use it. So I think if you can go into this perspective, which is my lack of confidence is going to propel me towards learning, which is actually going to strengthen me, you can almost use that lack of confidence as a bit of a boost to to your leadership.
0: One of the things that you do really well in your training around lead the room and communication is I guess helping people build their confidence. And I, I want to know because this idea when we're new to leadership of speaking up and like contributing in those contexts, like you mentioned, if someone sits back in the meeting and they don't engage, sometimes out of fear, we go silent. And what can we do if you're feeling like I get nervous and then I just go quiet or I I don't feel able to speak up, what advice would you have for them?
1: Yeah. So one of the things I talk about, I do this kind of work developing remarkable leaders. And it it sounds so funny when you say remarkable, because what I mean by remarkable is at the start of this conversation, we said, you ever had that leader that you're like, oh, they were just the worst leader ever? The inverse of that is, do you ever have that leader that is that one that just stands out as having the best leader ever? And that's the kind of like people that I want to develop, the leaders that I want to develop in the work that I do. That's, that's my goal is to multiply impact on the planet by developing those kinds of leaders. And so one of the things we talk about is to navigate this journey to people leadership, you've got to build three sets of systems. And I think I call them belief systems, support systems, and performance systems. The belief systems underpin your support systems and performance systems. Support systems is all about building your network and making sure that you've got the people around you, the team around you to get your job done. Performance systems is all about having a framework, I believe is conference room, meeting room, lunch room that shows you how to be a good leader. But Shell, I think the thing that underpins all of this is your belief systems, which is what do I believe about myself? What do I believe about leadership? And within that, there's this one key concept which I talk about, which is being able to challenge your own thoughts and lead your own brain. When we struggle with confidence we struggle with these competing, intrusive and unhelpful thought processes. For example, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. I've got nothing to say. If I speak up, then this will happen. And if we can't be A, aware of our internal thoughts and B, challenge our internal thoughts, we will be slaves to our own thinking and we, it will show up in a very public way in our leadership role. So I would say, first and foremost, you've got to be able to challenge your own thoughts.
0: How do you do that?
1: Oh, it's, it's hard (laughs) because really we start stepping into that kind of cognitive restructuring and that kind of cognitive behavioral therapy. But if we were to draw it back to a very simple solution, you got to recognize that our brain has a set of automatic thoughts. Someone, I heard them call the the automatic negative thoughts. They call them little ants. And they were like, you got to see them as little ants crossing across your brain. And the automatic negative thoughts are things that we can't control. There are the things that pop into our brain. You ever had that thought and it's like, where on earth did that come from? I didn't think that consciously, but it was just there. It's your primary response to certain situations. And then there's what we call a secondary response, which is what we think about what we immediately think. And that can almost either exacerbate that initial thought or it can, it can undermine that thought. So for example, if I say, if I had this immediate thought, oh, I don't belong in this meeting. I shouldn't be here. I'm not a very good leader. Immediate thought, automatic negative thought. So, we've got to recognize that and then choose our secondary thought, which is how do I respond to that? Which is maybe I'm not the smartest person in the room, but it doesn't mean I don't belong in this room. Maybe I don't have all the answers to all the questions, but I have a unique perspective that I can bring. And you start to give yourself a more helpful second thought, which is going to reframe that first automatic thought. And if you sit with that for a moment, the more reframed thought is going to be much more helpful to you than sitting in and spiraling on that automatic thought.
0: One of my ways of responding to those negative self talk or the intrusive thoughts has been, I might not know it, but I can learn it. And just kind of saying that on repeat, like I of going, that. especially in starting my business the last year. So I just got to one year, Shane, in my business. Well
1: done. Happy birthday. Uh,
0: happy birthday happy to me, to my business. business day. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember at the beginning just feeling so overwhelmed. And I think this is what it's like when we start in, in a leadership role. We feel so overwhelmed by all the things we don't know that we start going to that self-doubt. We have a lot of those intrusive thoughts, the automatic negative thoughts. And so for me it's been I might not know it but I can learn it. And I do genuinely have a deep belief that I can learn stuff. Like I just know that that's who I am. And I think for you listening right now, if you're new to leadership, Trust your ability to learn stuff. Like you have learned so much in your career. Take that, repeat it, call it an affirmation, call it whatever. I don't care. I don't call it an yeah. affirmation because I always get like little like about. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something powerful in the what we actually speak to ourselves in those moments.
1: Yeah. One of the, th- the things that I always remind people of is that I, I was in this interview once and someone said, you've got to think about your thoughts and you've got to think them about them like Clothes on a clothesline. You've got to take the clothes out and you've got to hang them up, take a step back and look at all of them, which is just about their way of saying raising awareness and elevating awareness. And then he said, and then you've got to ask yourself, is that true or not? And I don't know that that's the most helpful way of looking at it. And here's why I reckon taking a step back and looking at your thoughts and asking, is that true or not? is challenging because sometimes it is true. Sometimes you walk into a room and you go, your immediate thought is, you are the dumbest person in this room. And sometimes it's true. Like really, when you think about it, <laughs> like if, like I've been in some rooms, Shell, and I'm in many rooms where I go, I am the dumbest person in this room. And it's probably very true. <laughs> and so I don't think that truth is always helpful because sometimes it's our version of truth or it's a truth for a time. Like if you look at science and how science has evolved, we thought it was true one point point, then all of a sudden we pr- disproved it. So it's not true anymore. So I think truth is not always the best way to manage our thoughts. I think there's three things is number one, is it helpful? Like, is it helpful for me to sit on this belief going, I'm the dumbest person in this room, Shane. What are you doing here? It's not helpful. The second thing is, is there evidence to support this? And maybe there is. Like, but again, go back to, is it helpful? And is it logical? Like, does it make logical sense? Sometimes you're like, if I get up there and do a a bad job, I'm going to lose my job. It's not very logical. I mean, there's a possibility that there's an element of truth in it, but it's not very logical. So I always just say your most helpful thing is to ask, is this a helpful thought to hold? And if it's not, how do I reframe it? And your learner mindset is the best way to reframe that.
0: Is it helpful? Yeah. Is it serving me? Yeah. Like is that thought serving me? Is it helping me? Because no, if your internal narrative as you're sitting in that meeting room is I have nothing to contribute, I have no value to add, well, yeah, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Shane, so good. Can we just – I just want to take a second. Now we had all these listener questions so we're going to have to – we might even just do this as a part one and a part two but I want to just let people know because every time I talk to you – Every single time I learn so much. You have been a coach to me in my business. You have been someone who's helped me grow everything that I've done and people love working with you. And at the moment, I just want to say it because you will not do this yourself, but (laughs) I need to say everyone – Shane's program, Remarkable Leaders, is open for expressions of interest. This is a coaching program for new leaders, for experienced leaders, for anyone who wants to be the learner and become a leader people want to follow. How do people find out more about that? Because I just cannot say enough, everyone needs to do this program.
1: Shell, that's super generous. Thank you. I'm sitting here squirming on the other side of this (laughs) this podcast chat. So I, I appreciate it. Like this is the thing I think. Often, leadership can feel really lonely. we don't really know who to turn to. we don't know where to go to kind of find that roadmap for leadership and so that's part of the reason why I, I've got this remarkable leaders program is to walk you through those three things of how do I set up my belief systems so I can deal with some of the confidence issues. How do I set up my support system so I can tap into network and find people who are doing the leadership journey with me? And how do I develop my performance system so I identify the key areas that I need to upskill myself to be able to to tackle leadership and and what's required of me in leadership? And so, yeah, check out the website at shanemhatton.com forward slash remarkable leaders. And uh, would love to hear from you if you'd love to be part of that.
0: Yeah, seriously. Get on there. Do not delay. Get on the link. It's in the show notes. Express your interest because it is going to be. I just think this is the course that people need to do in order to step into that confidence, to own the role and to create the impact they want to make as a leader. Jump on, do it. We're going to come back with a part two on this because we're going to hit the listener questions that we said we would. Jane, as always, you are bloody brilliant.
1: Such a delight. (laughs) Such a delight. (laughs) We'll be back soon.
0: We'll be back soon. And hey, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating and review. Thanks heaps for hanging out. Bye.
1: We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.
0: We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and My Millennial Daily. Planning for your next trip?